Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us online for our virtual uh, service here at Wyoming Valley Church. And uh, for those of you that are a part of our church, on behalf of Peggy and I, my wife and I, uh, we miss you very much. We're praying specifically the other day. I got out my copy of the old directory and actually prayed through the directory. And uh, so one of the things that I want to do is just keep my heart uh, on what God is doing through our church and in our church. And even though it's a little, everybody says this, but it's a little weird during these times of not being able to get together. But uh, that's one of the things that I do is just pray for you. And we, we miss you and we're glad that we can join together this morning uh, virtually uh, for this service. Please take your Bibles. And turn with me to Judges chapter 3, and we'll get there in just a moment. Judges chapter 3. Uh, for those of you that know me, you probably know that this is not a surprise, but I am somewhat of a news junkie. I get TV, I think, for news and sports. The sports part has made me uh, quite depressed lately because uh, all it is is reruns, and I already know the outcome. But uh, that's okay. But... Uh, one of the things that I remember from years ago, and I think I've actually talked to our church a little bit about this, is that on Saturday mornings, I think it was on CBS, and you can still find these on YouTube, but CBS had a feature that was a reporter by the name of Steve Hartman. And Steve Hartman did this thing called Everybody's Got a Story. And he literally, in the, in the early episodes, would put a map behind him in the studio and would throw a dart, and CBS would send him wherever that dart landed. And uh, he, would he would just meet somebody at random. Some of the shows, if I remember correctly, had him uh, finding people in a phone book, which I know that uh, tells you how long ago the story was. But he would just meet people at random and interview them and came to the conclusion that everybody has a story. And I was intrigued by their stories. I'm a guy that travels quite a bit. And uh, that's absolutely true. But here, here we're talking about the Old Testament classics. And one of the things that's also true is that the work of God throughout all of time is done through people. Okay, God has done that. And from the very beginning of time, is the story certainly the story of God, the story of God being sovereign and in control of the universe. And, but yet his story, his work, is done through people. And so from Adam and Eve on, it's a story of people. And one of the things that I love about ministry is that it gives us the opportunity to uh, meet people and to see God at work in the lives of people. And so folks, wherever it is that you are this morning, whatever it is that you're doing and how you're gathering today, God is at work in your life. And uh, this whole coronavirus situation is not a surprise to God in the annals of history. God knew all about this, God ordained this, and God is going to use this as a part of our story. And so what I want to talk with you today actually is the story of three of the Old Testament deliverers or judges from Judges chapter 3. Now, one of the things I just want to encourage you to do is if you can do all of this and juggle things electronically, is I posted our notes for today. And the notes for this message really is ju are just an outline of the three people that we're going to talk about 
from Judges chapter 3, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. But also there is one passage of scripture because I'm not going to take the time to read through that. And so I have given you a passage of scripture and there's an arrow that tells you about where that fits in the message. And so if you have that handy, and that'd be great. And if not, get your Bibles, get a pen or pencil, and maybe uh, God will lead you to jot something down or underline your Bibles or whatever. Uh, but that's what we're going to do this morning. Pastor Todd has already led us in prayer, so we're going to get started this morning and dig right in. And the title of my message this morning, and we have the uh, slides up, and I know it's, it, some of them might be difficult to read, but here's what I want to talk with you about, is erasing our excuses. And we're going to look at the stories of three people who didn't let their excuses, who did not let their excuses. And that's how I'm going to craft this message this morning, is didn't let their excuses keep them from serving the Lord. All three of them are unique individuals with their own personalities, their own strengths, their own weaknesses, certainly. And that's how God works in our lives as well, our own situations, our own backgrounds, our own families, our own neighborhoods, and all of those. God is at work in all of that. He's sovereign. He's in control. And uh, we're going to see that a little bit from uh, this story this morning. If you're not familiar with the book of Judges, let me give you a little bit of a background. Judges, honestly, is in a dark time in the nation of Israel's history. And we're going to look at that quickly. If you have your Bibles, and I just have the, the address for this there in the beginning of your notes, and also on the PowerPoint, turn with me to Judges chapter 2, although our text is going to be in Judges 3. Judges 2 begins, I'm going to use this as an introduction to my message this morning and tell you a little bit about what's happening. Judges 2, verse 7, down through verse 12 says this, So the people, nation of Israel, served the Lord all the days of Joshua, a great leader in Israel and Moses' successor, his follower, his student, uh, at, at the time when the, the nation of Israel came out of slavery, uh, in Egypt. And so that's the setting of this. And all the days, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders, the leaders of the people who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. That generation had seen God do some amazing things, but humanly they were getting older and uh, passing away. Now, verse 8 says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. Verse 9, And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. Verse 10 then says this, And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, had passed away. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. The new generation had forgotten what God did, and they didn't even know God. Verse 11, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals, the false gods. And they forsook, walked away from the Lord of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. I talked with you about that. And they followed other gods, small g, 
from among the gods of the people following idols uh, who were around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the God, they, they provoked the Lord to anger. And we're going to stop there. Remember I mentioned this time in the nation of his, history when the book of Judges tells us the story is a dark time. And that tells you a little bit about that. Moses was a great leader. And one of the things that Moses did was transfer his faith into the lives of the next generation. And Joshua, in one sense, was a great leader. But this is sad because he didn't do that. And he didn't transfer his faith. Folks, let me just say, most of you who know me know, know that I'm a youth ministry guy. And honestly, this passage is one of the reasons, by the grace of God, I've dedicated my life and my ministry to the next generation is because I don't want this to happen. I don't want this to happen in our church. I don't want to hap happen in, our, in my family. And I, I have, I'm incredibly passionate about instilling in the next generation of transferring my faith to theirs. I, I'm from a family that has uh, been believers as far back as I know. And I don't want to be the guy that messes that up. And so for our church, our, my family, this generation, I want, to, I want the next generation to understand and to be able to see the works of God. And again, this is a time in the nation of Israel when that didn't happen. If you have your Bibles, I'll tell you a little bit more about this. And, and I have a, a slide about this, and then you have it on your notes as well. In Judges chapter 16, verse 6, it tells us a little bit about what was going on. It says this, Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And if you're a person of faith at all, you know what a problem that could be. But that what was going on because they didn't know God. But then back in Judges chapter 2, and I'm, I'm just doing this quickly this morning, you can read the narrative in Judges on your own and sometimes, sometimes do that because it really is interesting. But back in Judges chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Nevertheless, or in spite of that, the Lord raised up judges or deliverers who delivered them. And here's what happened. The book of, the book of Judges is, is very much cyclical in nature. The children of Israel uh, as a whole forgot what God did. They didn't know what God did. And they followed them, the, what, themselves. They did what was right in their own eyes. And that... Folks, that led them down a terribly dark, sinful path. And the nation, you can read about it, the nation was in a mess. And yet the people then, God allowed them to cry out in prayer. And then God would raise up an, a deliverer, a judge, if you will. And then that cycle happened. People did right in their own eyes. God, they, they led down this dark path and then they prayed and God raised up a deliverer. That's what was going on here. So it's in that cycle that I just explained to you that God uh, brings us to Judges chapter 3, where I, I am not going to take the time, because I know you can do this at home or wherever you are, is to read through the whole chapter. But in Judges chapter 3, God's word introduces us to three people, which I hope you find this, like I have, incredibly interesting. It's going to tell us their story. I already mentioned that everybody has a story. Uh, a background, a testimony. You do as well. Pastor Todd does as well. I do. And, and we're going we're gonna to just get a glimpse into their story of these three individuals that God used in a mighty way 
And God uh, allowed them to erase their excuses and how they didn't use they didn't use their background, their excuses to keep them from serving the Lord. So here's the three guys. And I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering the names in some sense, but here are the guys. Othniel, Ehud, or Ehud, and then Shamgar. And we'll talk a little bit about these three individuals. And there's the passages. You have that outline. Othniel is told to us, the story of Othniel is told to us in verses 7 through 11. Ehud is in verses 12 through 30. And that's the passage I have for you off to the side. And then Shamgar, one verse. And then there's one other reference that I'm going to have you look at about Shamgar in just a minute. But let's talk about Othniel a little bit. If you do have your Bibles, look with me at verse 9. I, I told you about the cycle. And verse 9 says this. When the children of the Lord cried out to the Lord. Great, great advice, by the way, for our lives as well during this time of crisis. The Lord raised up a deliverer. Notice God in all of this. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel. Uh, says they cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel a del who delivered them. And then it tells us who it was. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And so that's how we're introduced to... Um, to Othniel till we get started. One of the things that I, I, I want you to notice as we go through here is that Othniel is introduced to us as being uh, in Caleb's family. For those of you that are Bible students, let's just talk a little bit then, because that's how he's introduced to us, is to be a part of Caleb's family. So let me just talk to you a little bit about Caleb for a minute. If you remember the stories from Sunday school days or whatever about the children of Israel, how God led them out of captivity in Egypt and God brought them through the wilderness, through the, uh, again, another dark time in the nation of Israel. But God had prepared for them the promised land. So at this part of the story, the nation of Israel under Moses' leadership was about to enter the promised land. But before that, God instructed Moses to pick spies. The nation of Israel was divided into 12 tribes or 12 families. And so one person, basically a leader, a person of influence from each of those tribes was selected. And out of that, some of you will remember from Sunday school days, were, um, were two guys that ended up really being positive influences and then everybody else. And so there's a song that I learned when I was a kid, 10 were bad and two were good, and that's the story. And Caleb, in that story, was one of the good guys, Caleb and Joshua. And so the passages that I just uh, put for you on the overhead, on, on the, uh, the PowerPoint, are from Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13, verses 26 down through chapter 14, verse 10. It tells the story of how Caleb... <laughs> and Joshua and the other 10 spies went into the promised land. And here's what happened. Those two guys came back and gave incredibly positive, positive uh, reports of that land. The fruit, the, the land itself, the people, they came back. Caleb and Joshua <laughs> came back with an incredibly positive report of the land. The other 10 came back. And isn't that how it is with uh, the majority rule sometime? Came back with an incredibly negative report and talked about how hard it was going to be and how difficult it was going to be 
and they pointed out how there were giants in the land and they were going to probably get defeated. And that, that made this huge dilemma about that. But um, God triumphed, as that's the story of the Bible. God triumphed, and ultimately Caleb and Joshua won the day, and the nation of Israel, it was a God thing, were able to go into the promised land. And once that happened, the other reference that I want you to look at sometime that tells us about Caleb was found in Joshua 14. Joshua 14, verses 6 down through 15, where it says that Caleb went into his inheritance, and he actually drove out the giants and how God used them. So here, that was Caleb. Caleb was a, uh, a great leader, and I, I just jotted down some quick characteristics <coughs> about Caleb. He was selected for a key position. He was a person of influence. He was a guy that gave a positive report. He defeated giants. That's the story in Joshua 14. He was a, he was a victor. He, he, he won great enemies, or he won battles over great enemies. He was blessed by God, the Bible says, over and over again. And it says this most often about Caleb. He wholly followed the Lord. That's a great story. Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Okay, That's Caleb. But let's go back in our story. What we're talking about here is Caleb's relative. Now there are some uh, disagreements, dis differences of opinion among commentators because the Bible was written, the punctuation wasn't there. <coughs> we, we added that. And so whether or not that Othniel was, was uh, Caleb's brother or whether he was Caleb's nephew, but e either one, that doesn't matter for what the lesson is that we're learning today. But because Othniel was a guy that did not use his identity as an excuse. If you look at the story of Othniel in Scripture, Othniel was a guy that was always known by his family. In fact, even, I mean, just think about that. Even to this day, uh, people name their sons, name their grandsons Caleb, right? I mean, that's kind of a cool name. I don't know of anybody whose name is Othniel. So even in that day, Caleb was cool. Othniel was like, eh, well, you know, and, and I understand that. But yet that was his identity was his family, was where he's from. I, I get that a little bit. Uh, those of you that go to our church, you've heard my story. I grew up in a small town. <laughs> I grew up in the same town that my grandfather grew up in. I grew up in the same town that my dad grew up in. I grew up in the, I, I have an older brother. I have a younger brother. I have uncles. I have cousins who live there. And I was always known by my family. I mean, I understand that. Oh, you're George Walker's grandson. Oh, you're Jim Walker's son. Oh, you're Norm Walker's brother or whatever. I, I understand that. And I also understand that my family had to live down my reputation a little bit. I understand that. And that was part of the identity that Othniel had. He was known by his family. <clears throat> that has been true throughout all of history, by the way. Um, I, I know you know people, if there's not even somebody watching today, um, the family name Thompson, right? Tom's son. The family name Davidson, David's son. The family name of uh, Anderson, Andy's son. 
I mean, all of us have, in one sense or another, is known by our family. Um, my daughter, Christy, has done some of the uh, genealogy for our family and has gone back as far as uh, Ancestry.com has allowed her. And my family is, the Walkers are largely English and are from Great Britain especially. That makes sense with my name of Walker. And you know what Walker means? Walker, as far as I know, was a family that lived outside of town, out in the sticks, and walked into town. So people called them the Walkers. I mean, it just kind of makes sense that that was our identity. My point is that all of us have an identity, and often it's tied into our family. Today, we have a huge discussion about identity, and especially with young people growing up and so on, and often that's centered around sexuality or things like that, but that's not the case in the Bible. Often the identity uh, had to do with their family and had to do with the situation, the background that they were in. And uh, even though that's a huge discussion today, I think the story of Othniel says this, and I put this in parentheses on the PowerPoint, but I want to highlight that. Othniel's name, and in the Old Testament time especially, Parents often named their kids something that mattered. There was a meaning to the name, and that's why <laughs> they were given that name. And the name Othniel means basically helped by God. And I love that about Othniel. He was a guy that was like, he could have grown up saying, well, Caleb got the cool name, and I got the name Othniel, you know, my family, where I'm from, was a big deal, but I'm nothing. And he could have grown up with that poor me attitude, and that is, look at the situation that I'm in, look at my background, I'm a nobody. But Othniel didn't have that reputation. And verse 9 tells us a story. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them, who helped them, got them out of this situation, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. God helped him. And I think here's the story of Othniel, and that is us too were helped by God. And I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your family is. So many of us look at our background as a problem or as an excuse. Like we look at that and say, well, you don't know where I'm from. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know my family. Othniel didn't do that. His whole reputation is he was helped by God. God made us. God made us the way he did with our strengths and weaknesses. God put us in a, the situation that he did. And God uses us. In fact, God wants to use us for eternity. And really, that's the reason why, folks, I've picked as my life verse, 1 John 2.17, it says, the one who does the will of God lives forever. And if God is at work in our lives, then in spite of our family, in spite of our background, God doesn't want that to be excuse. God can use us. And again, the situation now <laughs> that we're in, folks, God doesn't want us to use this as an excuse either. And it's a time for creativity. It's a time for energy. It's a time for prayer. It's a time to seek the scriptures. But that God doesn't want us to use that as an excuse either. God can help us. And that's the story of Othniel, is that God made us that way. And in spite of our background sometimes, and maybe, maybe because of it, God can use us and God can use us to serve him 
Because here's the message of Othniel. God helps us. God put us there, and God can use us because of that situation. And that is uh, incredibly practical and encouraging to me during this time. Here's the second guy in this story. The second guy in this story is a man by the name of Ehud or Ehud. And if you drop down, the verses 12 through 30 tell us this story. And I'm going to... I'm going to smile real big and just say that honestly, this, this narrative that I gave you there in the notes that you can look at and read, I gave it to you in the NIV, so it's easy to read through, is, is really kind of a unique, weird story. And, and I'm not going to take the time to read it because you can do that. You're at home or in other places, <laughs> and you can do that on your own. But read that story. Ehud... Um, is, was identified to us. If you look down at verse 15, look at verse 15. But when the remember I told you about that cycle of sin and darkness and God raised up a deliverer. Verse 15 says this. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, which is probably his family, his tribute, his, his legacy, if you will, the Benjamite. And then it says this, a left-handed man. And by him, the children of Israel sent tribute or gift to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, okay, this is a story. And in, 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 in the Old Testament, often the tribe of Benjamin, okay, one of the tribes of Israel, was identified as being people that were left-handed. But here's the story. Ehud is a man who the Bible makes a point to tell us that he was a guy that was left-handed. And uh, I don't know how many watching you are, are watching today are lefties. I, I am right-handed. I understand that my right hand is dominant. I used to work in Chicago, and I would go to the Woodfield Mall often from, in Chicago and where I would park, it's a huge mall, but where I would park and go in, they actually had a left-handed store where everything in there was for lefties. Um, in all of my years in Chicago, uh, going there, uh, I never went in that store because they didn't have anything for me. Uh, being left-handed then was considered odd or, no offense, lefties, weird or different. And like I just put on the PowerPoint, it was basically considered a limitation. Now, there are those that say that because of the stories of left-handed people in the scriptures, that it means that he was uh, ambidextrous, perhaps, and could use both hands. And maybe that was true. I wasn't there. <laughs> but if you look throughout the story, that Ehud was a guy, and the, 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 the Benjamites from the tribe of Benjamin, it makes a point over and over and over again that they were left-handed, not ambidextrous. And then there are other occasions in the Old Testament and in that literature from that time period that means that this word means shut up from the right hand. And so perhaps it was they were trained to be left-handed or perhaps it was um, uh, genetics or whatever it was, but it points out that, that Ehud was a man that was left-handed, that was um, uh, had this limitation. 
And so let me just say, as we talk about this man, is that his story was not that being left-handed was an excuse or a limitation. In fact, before I just share some quick principles about him with you, is that, um, yeah, let me just tell you the story a little bit. And I want you to read it because it's a weird story. There's some funny things in the story. And, but, but you read it on your own. I'm not going to do it um, uh, publicly this morning. But you read that story, and I've gave it, given it to you in the NIV. <laughs> his, his family, Ehud, sent a gift to this evil king. And the Bible tells us that, his, uh, that this evil king, honestly, this is in the Bible, was a very fat man. Okay, And so he sends this gift to the king. And then he asked the king if he could have a follow-up meeting with him in private. And the king, Eglon, said yes to the private meeting, probably because the guy, the family gave him a gift. <laughs> and so they were in this, this, they were going to have this secret meeting. Ehud was going to have this meeting with Eglon the king. And before he went there, he actually took a dagger, took a knife, and strapped it to his right thigh. Again, he's left-handed. And he got away with it because he was left-handed. <coughs> he got away with it. And during this meeting, this private meeting, when all of the king's soldiers and advisors were out of the room, and again, he had a gift from these people, he takes out this dagger and he kills the king, and in fact, and, and was able to sneak out of this upper chamber, and the king's soldiers thought he was in there too long and they thought he must be going to the restroom this is in the in the story and Ehud gets away with it and wins a great victory for the children of Israel because he was left-handed and so I want to talk with you about that Ehud was not a guy who was bound or who used his limitation as a weakness and so perhaps in life I, I talked with you a little bit about Othniel we look at our backgrounds, like our families, as a weakness sometimes. Oh, no, man, if you knew where I was from, or you knew my background, or you knew my family, kind of that gives us an excuse <coughs> from not serving God. And sometimes we look at a limitation as an excuse for not, not, not living for God. And sometimes we look at that, and I put a few of them on the PowerPoint, as a human defect or a weakness, I'm too short, I'm too tall, I can't sing, I can't speak in public or whatever, or as a handicap, we look at it as a personality thing, oh, uh, you know, this person's an extrovert and I'm an introvert or whatever, we tend to look at that as a, as a, as a weakness, as a liability, or our background, as I mentioned, the circumstances that we're in, our family, our family history, well, if you knew my family, you knew what a, situ what, what, a, what a problem I have and how I can't overcome that background. The circumstances of our life, we tend to look at, a, look at that as a weakness. Oh, well, if you knew what I've had to go through. And I, and I think these three guys, these three stories, teaches us not to use those things as an excuse for serving the Lord. Maybe health problems, and certainly there could be a whole lot of other excuses. I think the story of Ehud is the story that he didn't see being left-handed as a weakness. He didn't see that as a weakness. 
So let me talk with you about three lessons. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this quickly, but there's basically three lessons from the story of Ehud that I want to point out for you. Number one is he didn't see his human characteristics as a weakness. All of us have human characteristics. All of us do. Uh, we're tall, we're short, we're big, we're small, we're skinny, we're fat. <laughs> you know, all of those things. All of us have, have human characteristics. And society would tell us those things are a weakness. Ehud didn't look at life that way. Can I, can I show you one verse that is actually one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, which is also found in Judges? In fact, I often share this verse and this story with young people because I love the story. And turn with me quickly. <laughs> in Judges, flip over quickly to Judges chapter 20. Judges chapter 20. Here's another story about the family of Benjamin, the, the tribe of Benjamin. And in Judges chapter 20, verse 16, Judges 20, verse 16, it says this. Listen, or, or look at it in your Bibles. Among all this people were 700 select men who were left-handed. 700 of them. <laughs> who were left-handed. And then listen to this. And friends, I have this double underlined in my Bible. Every one of the 700, every one could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. Are you kidding me? Uh, those of you that know my background, you know I was a basketball player. I mean, even the best free throw shooter who ever lived misses every now and then. These guys could sling a stone, left-handed, with a slingshot at a hair's breath and not miss. And, and friends, that's in the Bible. That's by inspiration of God and not miss. Are you kidding me? Here is the lesson, I think, from Judges 20. I think they practiced they took a human perceived weakness and turned it into a strength. And I think, I think in life, God does that all the time. That God wants us to take a perceived weakness and turn that into a strength. Maybe it is your personality. And it's easy for us humans, well, I'm not an extrovert. <coughs> I can't get up in front of people and talk. Take a human weakness, and turn it into a strength. Practice, practice, practice. So where you can take this perceived human weakness, whatever that is, uh, your background, your skill, the, the human weakness. I remember years and years ago, I heard the story of Johnny Erickson. Johnny Erickson, I think it was a, some of you know the story of Redder Books was in a diving accident and as an athlete broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. Johnny Erickson looked, used her skill and actually became an incredibly well-known public speaker, an incredibly well-known artist. She actually learned a skill of drawing pictures with a flare marker with her mouth that were incredible pictures. 
she took a perceived human weakness and turned it into an incredible strength. And uh, God used her. And, and tell, folks, I'm telling you, that never would have happened without that perceived human weakness. Years ago, I knew a, I knew a girl that was um, a human dwarf. Short, a member of this little people association. And God gave her the opportunity one time to speak and tell her story about living for God, about coming to Christ to a national audience. <laughs> Anybody who knows me, I'm going to smile real big and say, do you think God's ever going to give me opportunity to speak at a little people's convention? That's not going to happen. I'm not going to get that. I don't fit in that room. I don't fit in that crowd. God used her because of this perceived human liability, weakness, limitation. I don't know what you think in your heart. Be honest. I don't know what you think in your heart are your weaknesses, perceived human weaknesses. I will say from a lesson from Ehud and the tribe of, genuine, of Benjamin, turn those into a strength. Turn those into a strength. They're human weaknesses. They're not weaknesses of God. And maybe, 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 maybe part of your story is that God wants to take a perceived human weakness and turn that into a strength that you can have a ministry that others can't because you've gone through that. The second lesson is that he used his limitation as a God-given opportunity. He put the sword, he put the dagger, put the, the, <coughs> the knife on his right thigh so that he could easily grab it with his left hand. And if you have this human weakness, this perceived limitation, look for opportunities to use that. Let's not blame God. Let's not blame circumstances. Let's not use this as an excuse. Maybe that's the exact thing that God wants to use to give you a ministry that others can't have. <laughs> and I think it's also important, folks, to understand from the story that Ehud used his influence as an occasion to glorify God. The end of the story, verse 28 of his story, says this. Then he said to them, the nation of Israel, follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. He was one. He didn't say, I did this victory. He gave the glory to God. And I'll tell you a lesson from this too. I think one of the reasons why God gives us human limitations, folks, I think one of the reasons why God gives us human weaknesses is so that we don't take the glory. Because humanly, we're not going to get the glory. Humanly, we might... Ehud had influence, but he had influence because of God. And folks, there are lots of times in life where that's true, where we look at life and we realize humanly, that guy doesn't have... that girl doesn't have that strength. It has to be God. And he gave God the glory. So I think the lessons from Ehud end with God did it. God took a human weakness and turned it into an incredible strength. There's one more and I'm done. <clears throat> the third guy, the person that I want to talk with you about in this passage, is a guy by the name of Shamgar. And in this passage, there's only one verse that tells us about Shamgar. Drop down in your Bibles to verse 31, after him, after Ehud. 
was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which is probably, that was his family, that was his, uh, his background, and uh, his tribe, if you will, or his background. It says that, that after Ehud was Shamgar, the son of Anath, and uh, before I go on, Shamgar, some commentators say, um, it sounds like an Egyptian name. That he may not have been Jewish, he may have been somewhat of a mercenary, someone that was paid to do that. Now, I'm going to read the rest of the verse. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed, and he won this incredible victory, 600 men. He killed 600 men of the Philistines, the enemy, the arch enemy on this journey of the nation of Israel with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. Okay, the fact, folks, the fact that he had an ox goad, okay, I'll, I'll tell you about what an ox goad was. An ox goad in that culture was a, are you ready for this? This is really profound. An ox goad was a stick, a long stick, usually with a pointed end. And an ox goad was often used for two purposes. And I'm going to ask for your forgiveness ahead of time, but this is a Bible story. <laughs> the first purpose was to poke the oxen to get them to plow. An ox goad to prod or to goad them into action. Now, even that alone tells us a little bit about Shamgar. Shamgar had oxen. He was plowing, which means he was a farmer. He was the guy, no offense, but he was the guy behind the oxen. Which means he probably wasn't the owner. He was a hired hand, if you will. That brings us to the second purpose of an ox goat. And that is when the plows got clogged from dirt or sometimes uh, what was left over from oxen manure is the ox goad was used to clean that out. That's what an ox goad was. And so he wasn't the owner of the farm. He was a farm hand with an ox goad. Shamgar could have been incredibly upset. Here he is, this great soldier, this great warrior, and uh, he's out plowing with the oxen. I don't have the sword. I don't have the shield. I don't have any of that stuff. I have an ox goad. And he could have been really depressed. I'm not even the owner. I have to be back here with a stick. That's all I had. And because he had the stick, God used him to win an incredible victory. So here's the point that you can write down on that line in your notes. He didn't use what he didn't have as his excuse. Often we are like that. Well, I don't have the ability to speak. I don't have the ability to play an instrument. I mean, if you know anything about me, I'm such a non-musician, I can't even play the radio. <clears throat> and But yeah, he didn't look at what he didn't have. He didn't have any armor, he didn't have any, he didn't have a shield, he didn't have his helmet, he didn't have his boots, he didn't have a sword, didn't have any of that stuff. He had an ox goat. And he used what he had to win an incredible victory. Folks, let's not get bummed out by what we don't have. What do we have? And what we do have is something that God gave us and that God wants us to use 
what we do have. Not to be whiny and cryy and complaining about what we don't have. What do we have? God wants to use that. Now, folks, i got to tell you, I have talked about Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar before. I've done a series on all of the judges. I love Gideon. I love Samson, the story of other judges. Deborah, a woman judge who was married, that God used her. But it wasn't until this week, getting ready and with all of the uh, coronavirus thing going on, that I saw the rest of the story that I want to highlight as I close. If you have your Bibles, turn over with me to uh, Judges chapter 5. In Judges 5, <coughs> the Bible gives us the song of Deborah. Deborah was a judge. She was used to win a great victory. And in chapter 5, it's a song. They actually did the song, which often... They were like, what's the word, ballads? They, they told stories. And in Deborah's song, she sings about Shamgar. I'm not sure I would ever have the ability to, to get to work in the story of Shamgar into a song I wrote. But Deborah did. And in Judges chapter 5, look at verse 6. And honestly, God... Use that to teach me something this week. In Judges 5, verse 6, thinking about Shamgar, Deborah sings this. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, listen to this, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways, which means they had to hide because of robbers or raiders, or thieves that were on the highways. And that's what it means, is that if you traveled, you had to hide. And then it says this, village life ceased. It ceased in Israel. Village life ceased. Doesn't it seem like life has done that? Like the community life, is shut down. We can't go to church. We can't have meetings. We're not even supposed to visit our family in some cases. And it just seems like that. And, and Deborah wrote a song about that and tells us about Shamgar. And it's in that culture, Shamgar was out plowing with oxen that he didn't even own with a stick, an ox goat. And God used him. He didn't use what was going on as an excuse. He used what he had. He didn't think about what I don't have. I don't have freedom. I don't have, <coughs> I don't own the farm. I don't have anything. I'm, I'm, I'm really hurting. He used what he had. He didn't use what he didn't have as an excuse. Now, folks, one, one other thing about Shamgar. If you look at the last verse of, ver of Deborah's song, which is verse 31 of Judges 5, it says in the last half of the, that verse, Here's what it says in the last half of that verse, verse 31. Let those who love him, who love God, be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. Remember a day like that where it's been rainy and cloudy and snowy 
and dreary, but all of a sudden you have a sunshiny day. And everybody's outside. I mean, it can still be freezing, but everybody's outside because the sun is out in the full strength. God's word says that we can be like that. <laughs> that those who love the Lord can be like that, can bring that joy and life and energy back to people because we're willing to do what God wants us to do. And Shamgar had that testimony, and Deborah sang about that. Right before we started, Pastor Todd read to you a, a passage from Ephesians chapter 4, which we have studied a, a lot in our church. Othiel didn't use his background. Ehud didn't use his limitation. Shamgar didn't use what he didn't have as, a, as an excuses because they were all by used by God. And here's the point as we end. God wants all of us to be used by God. And folks, if there's a lesson from this, this week, if there's a lesson from right now, is that God can use us. Is that God is at work in your life. And that's the lesson of the church in Ephesians 4. It talks about every joint supply, every part does its share. It doesn't matter about your background. It doesn't matter about your human weaknesses. It doesn't matter about what you don't have. <coughs> Let's do what we can so that we can end up having a ministry, a reputation of like the sun coming out after a storm in all of its full strength. Those who love the Lord. So let's not get bummed out, folks, by what we don't have or by excuses. What can we do for God? And folks, if you're watching this morning and do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, don't really have the frame of reference for the things that we've been talking about, then you can come to know Christ and you can have that, that life, that energy, that reputation of those who love God to come out like a son in full strength and to realize that God is at work in your life putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we can help, you can call Pastor Todd, you can call me, or call others that you know that, that know the Lord, who love the Lord, and give them an opportunity to show you from God's Word how you can have that confidence of eternal life as well. I love stories. I love the fact that everybody has a story. Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar, and you and me. It's a story of God at work in our lives, and let's do what God would have us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Old Testament classics. Um, Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, or some of the judges, not all that familiar, but great lessons. And Father, I just pray that you'd use your word. Help us to learn the lessons that we would learn that uh, not to use excuses of our background or family, not to use excuses of our human weaknesses or limitations, or not to use an excuse of what we don't have. But what do we have? What can we use for God so that we love the Lord and that our ministry, our reputation, our experience is that people look at ours as the sun coming out in his full strength. Father, I thank you for this message and the lessons that you've taught us. And Father, continue to work in our lives and help us to be receptive to what you want to do. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great day. Have a great week. Lord bless you, folks. See you.